Hi, I'm David Freudberg. Each week at the Humankind on Public Radio podcast, we strive to practice the simple art of listening. At times, it can feel like a lost art in our noisy world, and of course, not everything is worth listening to. But for me, when I'm able to get centered, listening can be almost a sacred experience, a moment of focused attention that accords the speaker a measure of dignity. If you value this too, please help others to find our podcast. Consider going to Humankind on Public Radio at iTunes and leave us a kind review. And thanks for listening. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston and supported by the Humankind Program Fund. Additional funding for this series has been provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, the National Institutes of Health, the Annie E. Casey Foundation, and the Park Foundation. If one thinks of uh, what states require to make war, it's usually they have to begin by dehumanizing the other side. And the image, I think, often that these kids have uh, on the Israeli side of the Palestinian is as uh, of a terrorist, because that's what the media in Israel has tended to portray the Palestinian as. Similarly, the Palestinian has the image of the Israeli as a soldier or a settler. Uh, Again, a mask that uh, is created uh, that uh, the human being uh, hides behind. Uh, And I think what what happens here is really a profoundly uh, humanizing experience. At an amazing summer camp in Maine, Mideast teenagers from opposing sides take a chance for peace. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. Seeds of Peace Summer Camp stretches out along a sparkling lake in the hushed woods of Maine about an hour outside Portland. But to the 300 adolescent campers here, it feels more like an island, a sanctuary where they can temporarily forget the fears and worries and strife they have always known and for once just be teenagers together. With 45 points, second prize is group three. home in the Middle East, their parents sit on opposing sides of a bitter age-old divide. But the Arab and Israeli campers seated on the floor of a big wooden hall after tonight's treasure hunt are clustered in entirely integrated teams. To foster an atmosphere of togetherness, they all wear identical bright green t-shirts. They're asked to speak only one language, English. They sleep and shower in the same bunks and eat at the same tables. And for a few dreamlike weeks, the rigid code they have grown up with is suspended. Their notoriously sharp differences begin to fade away. Okay, campers in the back, please join us. 
Yes, us, those of us in green shirts. Yes, we are your friends. Each morning, all the youngsters assemble in a field for the day's announcements delivered by camp founder, John Wallach. Yesterday, there was a very important story for a change, a human story. A Palestinian family on Monday in Gaza donated four organs from their son's body to Israeli Jews in a gesture they just said defied often tense relations between Israelis and Palestinians. We thought of the donation as a purely humanitarian issue. No matter what the patient's nationality, they were human beings, said Abdul Halim Bawadi, brother of Farid Bawadi, who was killed in a car crash on Thursday. His family agreed to donate several organs from his body after Bawadi from the Gaza Strip's Burej refugee camp was declared dead. Four lives were saved by this donation. Surgeons transplanted two kidneys, the liver, and the heart into four Israeli patients. I want to hear it for the Palestinians this morning. In the dining hall, campers and staff are treated to a colorful breakfast buffet of cereals, eggs, breads, and beverages. Only a couple of weeks after first meeting each other, the kids seemed remarkably at ease, joking and gabbing away, mingled so naturally that I couldn't tell who was Israeli and who was Arab. The ancient rivalry between these groups took on the appearance of a sibling rivalry. It's that kindred feeling they strive to maintain at Seeds of Peace camp, even during formal dialogue sessions when the kids argue, often heatedly. Well, actually, that's the best part, because we get to talk about everything, and we, we're not afraid to open hard issues, because we know it will, it will stay there, and we get to go back to the bunk and be friends again, and swim and go to playing soccer, basketball, everything, and we get to talk and we get to be friends. The teenagers who boat and bond together at Seeds of Peace are Palestinian, Israeli, Egyptian, Jordanian, Moroccan, Tunisian, and Qatari. They have all been raised in the shadow of Mideast war. They have grown up amid fear and sometimes hatred. Many have witnessed brutal violence. Some have been injured themselves. Yet with the innate optimism of youth, they're looking for a way out of the quagmire they have inherited. They are looking for hope. Based on essays they write about peacemaking, the campers are selected from among 2,000 applicants. Their families, some very poor, are invited to pay what they can toward tuition. Private donations cover the rest, but no government funds are accepted. It's the brainchild of John Wallach, a retired journalist who extensively traveled the Mideast as the longtime foreign editor of the Hearst newspapers. I actually thought of Seeds of Peace, uh, the whole concept, back in 1993 after the World Trade Center bombing in February. Where is the answer? Is there anything that exists anywhere in the world that inspires hope? And it seemed to me that uh, when I did a little exploration, uh, I was astonished to find that there was no program anywhere in the world that brought the next generation of countries that were at war uh, together 
to learn how to make peace. It's going to sound very simple, but they learn how to listen to another person complete their sentence, even if the sentence itself is hurtful, even if they don't agree at all with what the person is saying. Bobby Gottschalk is executive vice president of the camp. They learn to listen, to hear what the person is trying to tell the other person about their needs and their fears um, and their beliefs. Usually, when people enter such a uh, conversation, they try to win. They try to be the one that got the better of the other one. But we, our aim is to change the objective to really understanding the other person as if they are the other person, as if they could, could just step right into that person's life and know exactly how that person feels. Because even if their uh, eventual objective is to win over the other person in terms of their argument, the best way to win another person over is to know thoroughly what their needs are and what their fears are. The overriding fact of life for both Israeli and Arab campers is that back at home they don't feel safe. It's an atmosphere that builds upon centuries of conflict and prejudice. The young Israelis are tired of being afraid that a bus they ride might suddenly blow up. The young Palestinians, sometimes called the children who don't smile, resent being forced to live in refugee camps, surrounded by barbed wire as if prisoners in their own land. At Seeds of Peace Camp, thousands of miles removed from the war zone, kids in one group actually start getting to know kids in the other group, a tentative dance that would seem all but unthinkable at home. The forum is a series of daily dialogues known as coexistence. Each group brings its own set of sensitivities and preconceptions. Well, I think that the other side doesn't really understand what happened to us, maybe in the Holocaust, what we've been through, because I don't think that anybody, anyone can understand what our people has gone through, because nothing like this has happened before. And sometimes in the coexistence sessions it happened to me that we begin we begin to talk about the issue of, of the holocaust and they just say i don't care or it doesn't belong to the issue right now or we doesn't we don't want to compare any suffer so i think they don't really understand about what we have been through as a people as a nation in the holocaust and i think that as as israeli we don't really understand how they lived and how they live in the refugee camp because we have never lived in a refugee camp, and even how that they describe the life there, we, we can never understand how it is if we won't live there and we won't see it. You think we don't care about what, uh, what happened to you in the Holocaust, but really we do care because we're human, and after all, we're all human after all. But what happened in the Holocaust, it happened between you and Germany, or you and Hitler. Um, so, I mean, we're here to talk about wh what's going on between uh, us and the Israelis and the Palestinians. Not that we don't care, but, I mean, uh, what can we do? We mentioned the Holocaust because the Holocaust has a big, a, a huge effect 
on the establishment of the state of Israel, okay? Especially to me because my whole family died in the Holocaust. So we mentioned the Holocaust because we, we, we need you to understand that the Jews had a place to live. And you always, uh, not you, Basma and Mira, but you as the Palestinian people have this urge to say Palestine. And a lot of time you call us the Israeli conquerors. And we just wanted to, wanted to, we just want to make you understand that the Jews had a place to live. You know that Israel, uh, the territory which which you call Palestine, the Jews always wanted to live in it. And this is because of the Holocaust. The Jews has this urge, this huge urge, to come to Israel, to come to Jerusalem, to kiss the wall of tears, to 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 reunite with their religion and with their souls. Well, you said you said that the Israeli people they needed they needed land to go to, didn't you? Um, like an an urge to to live somewhere, and you chose Palestine, but you chose you came to Palestine and occupied Palestine without even thinking of the people who are there living. You just came and, and took the land and everything. That that's that's what what I meant by when I when I talked about the Holocaust. I mean, we understand your suffering and everything, but you can you can live s- safely, but not on the right of another country or other people. Well, I just wanted to to make a comment about what uh, Basma said, but I don't. At the beginning, I can tell you personally. At the beginning, I didn't understand the Palestinian need, maybe psychological need to say Palestine, because. We didn't know the, the Israel, we know what what's Palestine. I mean, we know what they mean, but we didn't understand the the need to say Palestine. And now I do understand, and I keep cor- and at the past I kept correcting them. Now I just stop because I know that I understand this need to say Palestine, and I know what they're talking about, and. I don't think we, we at the beginning, as the Israeli understood the Palestinian urge or need for a state, for a land. We didn't understand it. I hope you understand now. I know I do. Time for recreation allows campers to break up the intensity of formal dialogue sessions. The same kids who argue politics in the morning listen to music together, and play each other at ping-pong in the afternoon. Arab and Israeli boys, breathing in the sweet fragrance of pine needles, stroll arm-in-arm down a dirt lane that cuts through the camp. Simple acts of friendship are the way to plant seeds of peace. Was it surprising to you that you could have fun with Israelis? Uh, yeah, because I never looked at Israelis, you know, to as friends. I... Uh, from my life, from my suffer, like uh, I, I always looked as, at Israelis as you know, uh, the, these can, these are people who who will never love Arabs or who will never be kind to Palestinians. Uh, when I came here, I saw that there are people who would like to make peace, who would like to, you know, to to know something about myself, and uh, uh, we knew that we shared a lot of things, and. I don't know. We we uh, we found our way, you know, to to, to form friendships. When I when I first came back from Seeds of Peace in '95, uh, most of my friends didn't believe me that there are so many beautiful Arab girls. 
But I went back home and I showed them picture and now they're all much more interested in peace. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, in Palestine, there, uh, I, c I can't meet uh, Israeli pe uh, people. Uh, I can't um, meet anyone. Where, where, um, where I will suppo uh, supposed to see them? But here, okay, I can see Israeli people, uh, teenagers, and I can talk to them. But in Palestine, I can't see them and I can't go and talk to them because there is no places to go or there is uh, no communication between us to go and talk and make friends. But here, all of us together and we can talk to each other. Were you surprised by what you've been learning in, in the last few weeks? Are, are there things that you thought about people on the other side that have turned out not to be true? Um, I always learn something new wh when I come here because uh, I always meet new people and new people have uh, other opinions because uh, we're not machines and everyone has his own opinion. And uh, every time that I'm here, I'm learning something new about the other side. Like what? Give me some examples of some things that you've learned that surprised you. Like uh, I learned about uh, the other side mentality, and I learned about their um, ideas, and um, and and I learned wh why they think the way they think. For example, um, uh, a basic idea that uh, um, many people that I met had that um, uh, they they prefer the land more than life in some cases. Yeah. You mean they're, they're willing to die for, for their homeland? Yeah. And that was new to me because uh, as, a, as a person, I, I, I believe that for me life is more important. Do you think that at Seeds of Peace you are in fact gaining a deeper understanding and appreciation of the suffering of somebody from the other side? I think that can happen eventually. That is what's supposed to happen after you go through the process because we had a delegation meeting a few days ago and one of the kids said, you know, they keep telling us in coexistence someone said he, he showed us a wound in his leg from a bullet and I didn't know how to answer him. I felt he was winning the conversation, things like that. And we, I just said, you know, listen to what you just said. I mean, you're trying to answer someone who got uh, a bullet wound you don't have to answer something like that. Just say, just understand it. Feel for him. Be sorry for him. And that's, again, that's part of the process because your mind doesn't think like this before you come here. That's part of the switch you have to make. And, uh, and I is, think that, is that a hard switch to make? Definitely, because before you come, you, you've no recognition of the other side, never mind recognizing uh, pain and, and hurting, because you, you keep on thinking, how are they going to feel for you? How are they going to care about me? And you forget that you have to do the same for them. But it, it happens in the end. You're listening to WSOP, the voice of peace, 89.7 FM. Campers operate their own low-power radio station during the summer as another way of keeping open lines of communication. When they return to their homes dispersed throughout the Mideast, those who have access to computers stay in touch by Internet. Although from different countries, languages, and religions, the kids begin really to identify with each other. When you notice it the most is, unfortunately, when something negative happens 
back in the Middle East. Um, you'll see the emails come across the line and they'll call each other on the phone and send messages back and forth. And you can tell that they really care about each other. For example, there was a big flood in Jericho uh, last fall. And um, one of our campers got like 20 phone calls from Israelis asking how was she doing, she's Palestinian. Last year there was a bombing while we were at camp and the Palestinians really bent over backwards to tell the Israelis how sorry they were about what had happened. Jerry Smith, a school teacher and former attorney in Virginia, is head counselor at Seeds of Peace Camp. It's made me look at the teachings of Jesus in my own life and realize that some of the things that he said really make a lot of sense. That you can spend your whole life hating your enemy, but that one moment that you take to love your enemy and find a way to get past that hate really helps you move forward in your own own life. And because that hate that you carry around in your soul, as I see kids when they come in here carry that hate, has such a burden. And uh, it doesn't mean that you have to like that person, but being able to find a way to forgive them, to me, has great benefit in one's own life. And uh, I think some of these kids learn that here, that. Uh, you know, part of what happens here is, you know, you have a Palestinian who's had a relative that's been killed by an Israeli soldier, or you'll have an Israeli who's had a relative who's been killed in a bombing, and they'll get to talking, and they'll realize that they both hurt. Have you seen this happen? Yes. I mean, I've talked to both groups, and last year we had a Palestinian who had been, uh, I think, shot in the foot by a bullet. Uh, and he was, uh, you know, he was a rock thrower in Gaza. And um, you know, he told me, he says, you know, when I first came here, I never thought I could sleep in the same bunk with an Israeli. And he said, I really have enjoyed camp and I really have changed my feelings about the other person. The art of peace requires a willingness to relinquish our stereotypes, the mental images we invent about someone we don't truly know. To live in stereotypes is to remain desperately stuck in a cold fantasy, a world of fear and alienation, a Middle East of the heart. It takes humility to break down stereotypes, and most of all, it takes the skills of empathy, of recognizing in the other person a mirror of one's own humanity. That's the starting point of forgiveness. Seeds of Peace Vice President Bobby Gottschalk. I had gone to the Soviet Union um, in 1962 to a camp that um, was for university students. And that camp was located at the very spot where my grandmother's whole family was annihilated by Russians. And I just imagined that the people who were at the camp with me were the grandchildren of the people who did it. And making friends with them was very powerful for me. It meant a cleansing. I no longer felt that I had to hate everybody who was uh, Ukrainian. I, I just didn't have to do that anymore. And that was not even a planned um, program. So I knew that if we really planned the program and structured it well, um, that we would have a really good chance of having the same kind of impact on everybody else. John always says, you know, they should make one friend. Um, I believe that. It's much, that's a simple way of saying a lot. 
if you're really making a friend out of an enemy, you are doing a lot. You really have to fight with yourself. And sometimes the kids describe what happened to them in such a great way. Um, one of the best ways was um, described by a Jordanian girl named Shok, who told King Hussein to his face that the best way to make peace is to first go to war with yourself. And I was sitting close enough to the king to see that he was moved to tears by that. What Seeds of Peace is really about is trying to create a sense of what peace can be. Camp founder John Wallach. And one of the things it can be is a lot of fun. If you make friends with the other side, maybe that friendship will lead to uh, romance, maybe it will lead to a business partnership, maybe it will lead to a great scientific or medical discovery, uh, maybe it will lead to things that are undreamed of yet by uh, mankind. It's late at night in Bunk 12, and five teenage boys, Arab and Israeli, sit around a bed singing, enjoying their short-lived summer haven in the tranquil woods of Maine. Their young eyes reveal a mix of hope and hurt. As their birthright, they are searching for a brighter future. Would you say that you're actually starting to become friends? Yes, yes definitely. I, I think so. Yeah. Definitely. You can fight and you can disagree, but actually you stay friends and even get closer. Do you think it would be harder to um, have the coexistence sessions if you weren't also playing sports together and singing and living in the same bunk? Yes, I think yes, because actually when we play together, we together we, we know each other better. You just sort of forget that the person's from yeah. another group yes, when you're playing yes, sports it together? Happens it happens a lot that uh, there are times that you, I don't know, you have some games or group talks and you actually forget that you're about which country are everyone comes from you think that every everybody is like a family like your friend and th that's the thing that matters are you at all concerned that when you go back to the countries you came from that it's going to be difficult for you to go back and tell them that you were able to make friends with someone from another side and how they'll react very afraid this is uh, well i've been thinking about it for too long i mean since the, about the third day I was here, I, I, was, I began to think like, whoa, this is ending and I don't want to go home. Because here it's, it's, it's so great. I mean, everyone's together and we're doing so much stuff. And when I thought about going home, I thought about my friends there. Uh, well, I can tell them stories about what happened here they won't really be connected. It's gonna be different, and I'm definitely going to miss some of my friends that I made here, and I probably won't get to meet so soon, like friends in Jordan and Palestine, um, and that's, that's, that's hard. Yes, and I mean, the thing is that when you're here at Seeds of Peace, you forget. I mean, except for the coexistence session, you don't really remember the conflict and all the troubles that you have outside of here. And every day you open the news and you hear more bad news. I mean, we're all here together. We're all having fun. 
you forget if you're Jordanian, if you're Qatarian, if you're, if you're Israeli. And when you go back to your homeland, the conflict just hits you right in the face. And that's what I think I'm most afraid of. Because that's why we really don't want to leave. What do you mean that the conflict hits you right in the face? I mean, here, except for the coexistence sessions, we don't really remember that there's a conflict, that we're like in war. I mean, we're all kind of friends here. Like Basim said, we're a family. When you go back, I mean, I'm not really going to see all of the friends that I made here very often. And I mean, you see that there is kind of a war, and that's what scares me, to go back to reality. been listening to Humankind with David Freudberg. In a moment, we'll give you information on how to obtain copies of this series. Humankind is written and produced by David Freudberg. Studio recording by Steve Colby. Associate producer is Tom Bryan. Editorial assistance from Patrick Cox and Tony Buck. The program is presented in association with far-reaching communications and interlock media. You can hear more episodes of our series at humankindpodcast.org. That's humankindpodcast.org. This is Humankind Program Number 5, Peace Camp. The executive producer is David Freudberg. Please subscribe to our free weekly podcast. The title is Humankind on Public Radio. You can find it at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, NPR One, and all major podcast services, as well as through our website. Again, the podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. And if you'd like to support our program, please visit humankindpodcast.org. And at the top, click on How You Can Help. Thank you.